Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant, and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers and hope you're enjoying your weekend. A little bit later, a look at the controversy over cell towers going up in neighborhoods as phone companies try to improve their networks and residents complain about them being so close to their homes. A look back at that from our Garrett Weimer, who will talk about some other special projects he's working on. But first, Kentucky Secretary of State Michael Adams is here. Secretary Adams says he has spent much of his tenure trying to clean up Kentucky's voting rolls. He's removed dead people and ineligible voters, and sometimes that has meant taking more people off the books and have been signing up in a given period. And what will happen if this redistricting plan isn't done quite soon? Dozens of legislative and congressional candidates are already signing up for next year, but many may find they filed in the wrong districts when those new maps are finally revealed. And there's a new effort to get younger Kentuckians engaged in the voting process. Secretary of State Michael Adams joins us and we really appreciate that. It's good to see you. We've done this virtually a few times, but it's been a while. Yeah, it's good to be back in the studio with you, Bill. Great to have you with us. Let's talk about 2022, which will be an amazing election year when you think about it, with the congressional races all the way down to the local city elections and county elections. There is a lot going on. Are you prepared? Uh, yeah, we're prepared. Uh, folks ask me, okay, you've got two elections a year, what do you do the other 363 days? Well, <laughs> we prepare for the next election. Uh, it's a major undertaking, but we've been working hard all year to be ready. It's going to be a very long ballot. U.S. Senate, U.S. House, the state legislature, as you said, local races, school board races, at least two constitutional amendments. It's going to be a long ballot, but we'll be ready. A lot of candidates are already coming forward. We've already had uh, nearly 400 file with me at the state capitol. That doesn't even count all the local candidates around the state. You know, we live in a time where there are so many questions about elections, the fairness, the, the integrity of the election process. Uh, how can you assure voters out there that everything is on the up and up in Kentucky? Well, I think, uh, I think Kentucky voters have seen a couple of things from us. They've seen us, A, be very bipartisan and fair, work with Democrats. We didn't have to do that, but we chose, uh, chose to do that. Uh, and they've seen actual tangible reforms that we've made to make our system more accountable and transparent. Uh, I will tell you the biggest challenge I've got in my job isn't the logistics of running all these elections. Uh, it's actually addressing the crisis of public confidence, and it's very frustrating. It's not just from one side, it's from both sides. You've got irresponsible tinfoil hat uh, right-wingers that are saying our machines are on the internet. They're not. You've also got irresponsible actors on the left saying that there's su uh, vote suppression going on. That's not true either. You're assuring us of all of that. Uh, how can people be certain uh, that, uh, you know, that, that there aren't uh, misdeeds going on? Well, uh, for one thing, you can learn on our website. Uh, we've got a, a site called uh, our rumor control page and we take on crazy gossip that's circulating on social media and we disprove it point by point by point. Uh, but the, the proof's in the pudding. Watch these elections and watch the process that we, that we take. Something I love to remind Kentuckians, they saw me working with a Democratic governor last year, but that's not something that's unique. Our entire election system is bipartisan. There's a bipartisan state board of elections. There's a bipartisan county board of elections in every county. And every single voting precinct has at least one Democrat and one Republican running the polls. So that's just baked into our system. And that it's checks and bounces that ensure that we have a fair election. Uh, let's talk about redistricting. You know, the U.S. Constitution requires it to be done uh, to reflect the population shifts that happen each 10 years. We know there were shifts in Kentucky uh, heading into the 2020 count. Uh, the legislative session, though, starts on January 4th. The filing deadline is the 7th. It said you can't get a bill through that quickly. So uh, isn't something going to have to give? 
Yeah, my preference would be a special session. Uh, I've been calling for that for uh, for several months. I think that's the best way to do with this. It's just good government. We ought to know the lines before the deadline. Imagine trying, I, I got my race a year before, almost two years before my election. Uh, imagine running for office, trying to organize, trying to fundraise, and not know if you're even in your district or not. We're going to have potentially a lot of candidates have to withdraw their filings and refile, get new signatures, pay another fee because they got moved into another district that's nearby. That's just not a good way to do business, I think. Uh, so I hope that we'll have a special session, but I'm not very optimistic. Well, as you know, the standoff on that is the governor wants to see the maps. The Republican leaders in the legislature say uh, they don't want him to see the maps. Why are the maps... Uh, why is that not public? Why, why can't people? Why can't the public see the maps right now? The proposal. Well, they're not public because they're not done. Uh, I understand the governor's position. Uh, it's a political position. He doesn't want to bring them in to pass stuff that he's not got leverage over. I, I understand why he's doing it. It's a political decision in, in defense of his party. I, I respect that. But the truth is this is a legislative uh, prerogative. The U.S. Constitution explicitly says that. It doesn't say that the state passes the map or the government passes the map. It says the legislature. This is purely legislative function. But a lot of states have a, an independent or bipartisan commission that assists with that. They, they, they go through a process where the public gets some input. Uh, Kentucky has chosen not to do that, and under Democrats and Republicans uh, with leadership uh, in the legislature over the years. Well, uh, that's true, but this is like any other bill. There will be a bill. There will be uh, a hearing in each uh, chamber on that bill. It's just like any other bill. There's nothing different about any other bill that goes through the legislature. They all follow the same process. They're not uh, disclosed months or a year in advance. They go through the regular legislative process. And again, what happens if somebody lives in a district and then, you know, the, <laughs> the map comes out and mm -hmm. their house is drawn out of it into another district? Actually, they, happened to me <laughs> several years ago. Really? Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so you have to go, you refile, you pay another fee? Uh, yeah, well, or, or you don't get to file. I mean, if you live in a, one district and the other one next door uh, may be drawn against you, uh, then you're just kind of out of luck, unfortunately. For our viewers, just kind of describe the, the population shift we're seeing and what is required uh, to, to draw that map. And, and again, we know there are political considerations mm -hmm. as well, but there are some real population shifts uh, out of the 2020 census. Yeah, there's a, a U.S. Supreme Court case uh, from the mid-60s that said you've got to have at the state level, uh, this is not just a requirement, by the way, for Congress, which is in the federal constitution. Uh, the Supreme Court has interpreted that to apply to state uh, legislative seats as well. That you've got to have these be more or less equal, one person, one vote, to make it fair. Uh, we've had great growth in urban areas in the state. We've had great growth in areas that are on uh, interstates. You've had a lot of shrinkage in the western and eastern parts of the state, and so they've got to smooth that out. Uh, my expectation, I have not seen uh, any maps. Uh, my expectation, uh, you know, folks think that there's going to be some huge Republican advantage. I don't really think so. There's just not much low-hanging fruit left for Republicans to pick. And the parts of the state that are growing the fastest are more urban and therefore more Democratic. So my gut is that the map will be kind of a wash politically. It's an interesting time in politics, isn't it? It always I mean, is. I mean, <laughs> here, you're, you're overseeing it, but I know you're a, a political observer as well. And it is interesting to see the shifts that we detect even within state. Right? Well, I don't, I don't play a role in the uh, drawing of the maps, but I'll play a big role in defending them because I'll be the guy that sued and <laughs> forced to defend them. <laughs> Do you anticipate that is uh, likely to happen? Oh, uh, of course. I think any map, there's going to be uh, someone who feels uh, wronged. Uh, there's lots of organizations who literally their business model is they allege discrimination or, or fraud or what have you and then they raise money off of that and go sue people like me for a living. I suspect you know this being an election expert and a historian uh, here in Kentucky but in 1930 uh, they didn't work it out in time 
And we had to end up having uh, congressional elections at large, where they were not by districts in the 1930s, at least one, one term. Uh, do you foresee the possibility of something like that? I think again? that's extremely unlikely. Uh, I do think that we'll get it done. I do think the legislature will kick the deadline by a few weeks or a month to provide a little bit of breathing room. But if they don't, I think what would happen is what happened in the last 10-year cycle, which is the courts reluctantly allowed the elections to uh, proceed under the old maps that should have been replaced more promptly but weren't uh, because of issues with the maps that were passed. You've worked to uh, clean up the voter rolls uh, during your time in office. Uh, can we have more certainty about the integrity of those voting lists uh, now as a result of that work? Well, there's, uh, the short answer is yes. There's two reasons this is really important. And by the way, the law that requires us to get these rolls cleaned up, I inherited a huge mess uh, on this. Uh, my predecessor was uh, found by a federal court to have been negligent in getting the rolls maintained uh, adequately. Uh, it's important for a couple reasons. Uh, one is you create an incentive and an avenue for fraud. If you've got people on the rolls who aren't legit, who are phantom voters, who've moved away or passed away. Uh, we have seen, not in our state, I'm proud to say, but in other states there have been votes cast in names of dead people, and there have been prosecutions of that. And this isn't gossip on social media. This is actual criminal uh, proceedings underway now. Uh, we've avoided that, fortunately, but it's because we've been so vigilant getting these rolls cleaned up. Here's the other reason. It's also good for keeping these lines short on election day, because if the rolls are inflated, that just takes that much longer for the poll worker to find the voter. So I want to make these lines as short as I possibly can, but also reassure the public that we've got this taken seriously now. But for the record, you did remove a lot of dead voters. Oh, from heck the yeah. yeah. Yeah, we've taken off uh, over 100,000 voters. It's a pretty big chunk. Uh, and of those, about nine out of 10 of them were dead voters. Uh, Look, the Democrats in Congress and President Bill Clinton, a Democrat, passed the law that required us to clean up these rolls. I'm not being partisan. Every month, last part of the month, I put out a press release that explains in a transparent fashion who we took off and why, how many were deceased, how many moved out of state, how many D's, how many R's. We want everybody to be reassured that we're not trying to game the system. We've had a lot of fights in the country, in other states we've seen it, where uh, identification is a, is a big issue. What is the rule in Kentucky if you're, to, if you're voting next year and so that you can get prepared for that now, uh, what is expected of a voter who shows up at the polls? Well, my campaign slogan was, let's make it easy to vote and hard to cheat. I was sincere about both of those, and I've done both of those. Uh, I've done uh, both on those fronts uh, more than any of my predecessors did in 200 years. Uh, you now need a photo ID to vote in Kentucky. That's the law. It wasn't before I took office. It's the biggest issue I ran on uh, and won on. Uh, bring your photo ID. A driver's license, any state-issued, government-issued, local, state, or federal ID will accept. Any college or, or uh, vocational uh, institute ID, photo ID, will take those. Uh, there are limited bypasses available if you cannot get a photo ID. You can vote if the poll worker knows you, but we now require the poll worker to sign an oath so we don't have abuse uh, of that. And, and I'll add, uh, in last year's election, I looked this up, in last year's election we had 3 million plus voters vote between the primary and general. Uh, over 3 million of them voted with a photo ID. We made them available for free to voters who previously couldn't afford one. It used to be 23 bucks to get an ID in the state. We had fewer than 1,000 voters who voted without a photo ID and weren't known by the poll worker. We have other bypasses for those folks to prove their ID in some other fashion. If people want to vote in a partisan primary coming up in May, they need to register with that party before the end of this year, right? They've got until December 31st to register in the party they want to vote in uh, in their primary next year, yes. Why is that? I mean, Because that's the law. <laughs> why, why is that, do you think, the law, that, that you can't 
you know, decide closer to the election which primary you want to. Well, take I've, part ad in. I've advocated both last year and uh, and this year in legislation to to move that deadline. It's a little arbitrary. The reason it's there is so you don't have gaming of the system, people switching and switching back. I get it, but I also think a lot of people make up their minds pretty close to an election, either to register or to change their party. I'd like to see us accommodate those voters if we can. It used to be that registered Democrats far outnumbered Republicans in Kentucky. Now that spread is about 50,000 or so. Uh, do you see that trend line uh, indicating that GOP voters are likely to outnumber Democratic registrants at a, at a point soon? Uh, yeah, I, I can't tell you when. Uh, we don't have a smooth a plot line to know exactly when that will happen. I, I think it's inevitable. Uh, with COVID, uh, Voter registration drives have been largely arrested, and so I don't really have a trend line to say it's going to happen in September or October. It's going to happen in my in my term of office, I'm, I'm pretty confident. But here's an important point. Republicans aren't going to be the majority. They're going to be the plurality. You've got 10% of the voters that are independent, that don't belong to either of the major parties, and they're the fastest growing group. It's not the Republicans. I'm a proud Republican, but the truth is it's important for Republicans to not forget the independent voters because you need those to win. That's how I won. That's the swing vote. Exactly. This week you announced a partnership with the YMCA to uh, try to increase youth voting and participation. Young voters are often loud and they go to campaign events and then they'll show up at the polls in the numbers mm -hmm. that, they, uh, that older voters do. Uh, how will you roll that out? I've got a great partnership with the uh, YMCA. They approached me about doing voter registration drives, and I said, let's do one better. Let's do voter registration and poll worker recruitment drives. Uh, I was elected in 2019, and a couple of weeks afterward, before I was sworn in, and, and months before COVID, I testified to the legislature that we have a poll worker crisis. We just don't have enough poll workers. They're aging out. They primarily are senior citizens. And that was before COVID. It takes 15,000 poll workers, all volunteers, to run an election in Kentucky. These aren't my staff. I've got 30 people that work for me. We need 15,000 people. I can't do it with just the senior citizens. I need younger people. So one thing that we've changed in our laws at my request is now independent voters can be poll workers. There used to be discrimination against independents. They were blocked from being poll workers. That's 10% of our voters. I need all the folks I can get. So we've expanded that pool now. Every time we ask someone to register to vote, we're going to ask them to be a poll worker as well. So an independent can work an election that they can't vote in in a primary. That's true, and I think it's unfortunate. I think one thing we should be looking at long-term is letting independents pick one of the two primaries to vote in. Really? Yes. At what point would you like to see that happen? I mean, so you, you, you believe in an open primary? Then? I don't believe in a fully open primary where Democrats can vote in my primary and I can vote in the Democrats' primary. You can see there would be room for mischief. But I do think independent voters should be able to pick one party or the other. That's how New Hampshire does it. And it's been great for their state in terms of drawing interest and attention to their elections. You're the keeper of business records uh, in the Commonwealth. Is there any end of year activity that people need to be aware of out there? Uh, not in particular. Uh, we did have a deadline on June 30 for every business to file an annual report with our office as required uh, by state law. And they pay a $15 fee, lowest fee in the country. That, that fee actually is what our office uh, uses to pay its budget, pay its costs. We're the only constitutional office that's independent of the Treasury. We don't take any tax dollars. We just operate off that. Do you have an agenda for the legislative session coming up? Well, uh, you know, it's flattering uh, to be asked that. Uh, usually the Secretary of State is not a, a prime mover in legislation. Uh, I've tried to take advantage of some of the leadership vacuum uh, 
caused by the governor and the legislature not having the best relations. And so I've offered two very significant bills each of the last two years. I'm not going to do that in 2022. My focus is implementation of the bills that we've already gotten passed. Are you running for re-election? Uh, I have not made uh, any, uh, any decision or announcement about that. I Are you tempted that. by the congressional race in Louisville? Uh, that uh, was open? I, I have been tempted. I've decided I'm not going to run for an office in 2022. I feel like I need to be right where I am, uh, focused on 2022's elections with our new uh, our new laws in place with all the training that's necessary. All right, so we'll uh, stay tuned on all that. Thank yes. you for coming by, Mr. Secretary of State. We appreciate it very much. Thanks. Stay with us. We'll come right back in a moment with Garrett Weimer of WKYT, a report about residents who can't do much about cell towers that are popping up right in their midst. We'll be back. Welcome back to WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. And uh, with us today is Garrett Weimer from WKYT's Special Project Staff and, of course, our erstwhile weekend anchor. So in just a moment, we'll be talking to him. I want to show this piece that he's done. A number of neighbors in a Pulaski County community say they're upset over a proposal to build a new cell tower on their road. It's not far from their homes in an area with no zoning regulations or land use planning. As Garrett reports for us now, they're not the only Kentucky community facing a similar situation. In this rural part of Pulaski County. I've seen a lot of changes. John Wayne Burton has spent his whole life. I like it here. This is a good spot to live and uh, and we're trying to, as they saying, to keep it that way. But as the community around him has grown, so have cell towers around them. Where I live, you know, it's the first thing I see when I walk out the door. Cell phone tires. Now this group of longtime neighbors say they feel increasingly powerless as the number of towers dotting the landscape here threatens to grow again. Out here on Happy Ridge Road, AT&T wants to build a 300 plus foot tower right across the road from another one. Yeah, we already got one to look at, so now we get two to look at. <clears throat> one on each side of the road, so you're just driving through them every day. The tower currently standing here AT&T's already on it. If state regulators approve their proposal, their new tower will be just over 600 feet from the first, a move they say will save them $5 million in rent over the next 20 years. Nancy isn't the only place this is happening. PSC records show right now AT&T wants to switch towers in 11 other places across Kentucky. In several of them, the new tower would be just over the length of a football field from the other one still standing. I can understand the aspect of, you know, for the greater good, but me and my wife and my neighbors, none of us wants to be a sacrificial lamb for any of this. In a statement provided to WKYT Investigates, an AT&T spokesperson tells us they're working to balance the needs of their business with the concerns of the community, adding, quote, we are relocating this particular site because we are committed to providing the best service and coverage for our customers in Pulaski County and we're unable to renew our lease for the current location, end quote. The principal issue before the Public Service Commission in this matter is whether the construction of the proposed tower is a matter of public convenience and necessity. At a public hearing in Pulaski County, neighbors voiced their concerns, but they say they still feel they have little say in the matter given the regulatory environment for wireless companies. You feel like y'all are being taken advantage of? Well, sure. You know, you know, it's just another another example of corporate corporate America, you know, you know, just 
coming in and doing what they want. Expecting it's when, not if, the second tower is built here. I just hope that this commission and these companies don't overrun us little farmers and people out here in the community without listening to our voices. Either way, many in this community say the entire process, like a tower itself, has cast a shadow over this neighborhood. In Pulaski County, Garrett Weimer, WKYT. A very interesting story and dilemma uh, there. It is, and Bill, I will add this week there was a, uh, a new filing from AT&T's attorney in this case this past week uh, asking for a decision to, uh, asking for a decision in this case. There hasn't been a ruling in it. There hasn't been a decision from the mm -hmm. uh, Public Service Commission yet uh, in basically condemning the delay uh, in, in what is basically asking what's taking so long for I, a decision on this case. And that's the first movement we have seen since the public hearing back in October. I take it that the, the, the companies say they need them to have adequate coverage for their, their phone networks, right? And then the, what are the concerns that the residents have about the towers? That's exactly right. Uh, they say they need these towers not just uh, in the area but kind of in specific locations. One of the things these neighbors have asked for is, oh, why can't you move it a couple miles down the road? You would still have it in the area. It just wouldn't be on our neighborhood road. Uh, but they say they need it in a specific location to prevent a gap of coverage on the parkway there that runs uh, right through. These neighbors tell me they have several concerns. Aesthetics is one of them. I mean, these are, these are large towers. The one that's already there is 349 feet. The new one, the proposed one, would be 317 feet. They'd have two of them basically right across the road from each other. The other one is property values. I mean, these are these are property, large properties, but parts of properties that if they want to sell it for, to someone to build a house, uh, they would butt right up against the property near that tower. Uh, they have concerns about health issues. These, these are towers that issue uh, radio frequencies. Now, the American Cancer Society says there's no strong evidence of health issues, but these are still concerns these neighbors have. And then the final one really is exploitation. They say they feel like they're being taken advantage of because they have the existing infrastructure that you need for something like this. When counties don't have land use planning, we have many counties in our state that, that do not plan, do not have zoning. The, maybe the cities and those communities, uh, those counties will have zoning, but the counties don't. Uh, there's not a lot of recourse on the part of the local government, right? There's not, and that's, uh, that's part of why these neighbors say they feel like they have they're really having little say in this, despite being able to voice their concerns at a public hearing. Uh, there's, there's not much they can do. Uh, and both sides know that. The neighbors know it. The attorneys for uh, the, the company, AT&T, know it. They, they mentioned it in, in one of their filings, basically opposing having a public hearing, saying Pulaski County doesn't have regulations for this. These neighbors really don't have a say uh, in this matter. Mm -hmm. Garrett, uh, we benefit from the stories you do and enjoy the, the in-depth look that you do at, at uh, so many of these uh, special issues. We have what we call a special projects unit here. You and Kristen Kennedy and our very talented uh, uh, videographer Bart Bill, uh, who also helps produce these stories, uh, is a part of that. You have some other things you're working on right now. 
I do uh, have a story airing on Thursday that we'll uh, start seeing a, a, a promo for here. Uh, basically, a, a mortgage mix-up. It's something that really could could happen to anybody. Uh, a family uh, here in Central Kentucky um, whose uh, mortgage company they pay into escrow each month in addition to their their mortgage payment to, to have their property taxes taken care of. Uh, their mortgage company paid those property taxes uh, for 2020 on the wrong property mm. and they just found out about it after uh, their delinquent debt was purchased which means if they didn't pay off the lien for it um, then they they would face foreclosure a lot of a lot of work to be done obviously on their part mm -hmm. thanks for coming by garrett weimer appreciate it and stay with us we'll be back in just a moment on wkyt's kentucky newsmakers Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers, and we're glad you're here. The new COVID variant Omicron now detected in the U.S. is sparking fear. The World Health Organization is calling the variant a very high global risk. President Biden says it is a cause for concern, not a cause for panic. Our chief national political analyst Greta Van Susteren has more. Hello, I'm Greta Van Susteren, and here's your full court fast break. The long embattled World Health Organization working toward a global pandemic treaty. It is setting up an intergovernmental body to negotiate a more collective response to future pandemics. No word yet whether it will be legally binding. The U.S. is resisting that push. Negotiators are expected to deliver an agreement by May 2024. Meanwhile, fear of another COVID surge sweeping the globe. The latest variant, Omicron, has already been detected in roughly two dozen nations. Some countries like China, Japan, Israel, and Morocco are banning all foreign travelers. The U.S. banned travel for non-citizens and non-legal residents from South Africa and several other countries. The U.S. is also strengthening testing requirements for international travelers from other nations. To be clear, we do not know if Omicron is more contagious than Delta, and we do not know if it will cause more severe illness. Scientists are still figuring that out. But we do know the strain has a concerning set of mutations, and experts warn that could, could make it more resistant to COVID vaccines. How? Antibodies target the COVID's protein spikes to neutralize the virus. The spike mutations could make it harder for antibodies to latch on. Want more Full Court Press? Tune in Sundays. We bring politics home covering the national stories that impact you. And remember that you can catch Full Court Press with Greta Van Susteren coming up this morning at 1130 on WKYT. Well, I'll be seeing you this week on WKYT's Evening News. We start at 4 o'clock. We go to 630 on WKYT. Don't forget our CW newscast at 630 and, of course, the 11 o'clock news as well. It's been enjoyable this uh, first week doing that, by the way. Thanks for joining us for Kentucky Newsmakers, and you make it a good week ahead.